Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. So we are in Acts, fifth book of the New Testament, after John before Romans, chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Now there were in the church uh, at Antioch uh, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This is God's word for us this morning. Why? Why would the church in Antioch, why in the world would you send out your two best leaders? You're supposed to hoard leaders like that. And if you're Saul and Barnabas, you're probably the two most gifted teachers in the church. Why not pull the gifted leadership card and say, not us, it's someone else a little bit lower down the totem pole. We're staying put. You find someone else to send out. Why would they exchange known things for unknown things? Why would they exchange an existing community for an unknown community? Why would they exchange a well-known city for the unknown travels on the sea? If there was still work to be done in Antioch, why not just hunker down? We're going to focus on this 10-mile radius around us. And why not just do that rather than subject ourselves to the rigors of sea, persecution, rejection, and ridicule? Well, the answer to these questions is the same answer for why people do it today. Because each of us who are Christians have had our lives inalterably affected by the greatest missionary enterprise of all time. The father sending his son to die for a people who otherwise would have remained in darkness. Now, by very nature, every single Christ follower has the hope that we do because at some point in history, no matter how far back, someone left the comfortable confines of their community to bring the life-altering, eternity-shaping gospel to people who were in darkness. And the ultimate example being the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, leaving his eternal community with the Father and Spirit to come to earth to die for his bride, to make her beautiful. And so every time we send and are sent, we are imitating the greatest love story in history, the Lord Jesus Christ giving up the acclaim of heaven for the taunts and ridicule of earth in order to make beautiful a bride. So that's the why in our passage. Now, it may be tempting to look at a passage like this, sending people out and say, this is such a wonderful passage for those who were called to be missionaries. This is great. Uh, Let's cheer them on. This doesn't apply to me. And friends, there are are so many problems with that line of thought. 
First, we are injecting ourselves as the main character in scripture rather than God. Second, we are missing out on the countless joys that come from obeying this passage, even if we never step foot out of Sacramento. And third, we miss the critical and necessary role the entire church plays in the sending out of people from the church. So here's our main point that we're going to discover in our passage today. Our God is a sending God, and therefore his church is to be ascending people. So here's how we're going to navigate these four verses. The, the outline's in your bulletin. If, if you're a visual person, this is going to help. Here's how we're going to traverse. First, we're going to look at the church forming, verse 1. The church worshiping, verse 2. The church sending, verses 3 and 4. And this is an incredibly special day in the life of our church because we're not just reading about something happening in Antioch with people laying hands to send missionaries out. We are having our own Antioch moment here today in our service as we commission Abby Scanlon for her missionary work. And so after we, we're, we finish exhausting these four verses, she's going to come up and we as a church are going to lay hands on her because the Spirit has set her apart and we're going to have our own Antioch moment. So we're going to look at a few other passages in Acts that they're going to help us excavate the diamonds in chapter 13. All right, so we're going to, have to do some heavy lifting up front. We're going to enjoy the great gains that follow. Did you know the book of Acts has a table of contents? I like that. I like clarity. Acts 1.8, here it is. Theme verse of the entire book. Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's your table of contents. Chapters 1 through 7 focuses on the message of Christ in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 11, Judea and Samaria. Chapters 13 through 28, the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we're in chapter 13 today. That is very helpful for us. Now you can likely anticipate the challenge of hearing this command from Jesus to start spreading out with, with the good news because we're like human beings. We like to be in control. We like predictability. We don't like change. We, we, we like routine. We like to be comfortable. And so why leave Jerusalem if I'm doing just fine in my faith? My church is fine. I don't want to leave. And Christ's remedy to that tendency to want to huddle up and not run the play was persecution. And early on in Acts, we see a great persecution arose and the believers were scattered from Jerusalem to guess where? Table of contents, Judea and Samaria. Let's take a look, Acts 7, 60, and then 8, 1. Uh, this is Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And falling to his knees, that is Stephen, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul, this is critical, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, I doubt any of the Christians in the moment saw what God was up to. But, but we have the benefit of like 2020 hindsight and even through something awful like persecution, God is fulfilling the table of contents that he has set out. 
So church, be encouraged. Even when things look out of control in your life, like God is committed to the good of his people and the good of his church. So let's discover another gem of context that will enable us to unmine uh, these, these riches in chapter 13. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11 now. We're going to read 19 through 22. This is going to pick up with the scattering of the persecution. I'll stop us along the way to highlight a couple of key things. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Fluency and Cyprus and Antioch. All right, that's huge. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. This is huge, people. So the, the persecution of Stephen, set in motion by Saul, scatters Christians to Antioch. And then, don't miss this, the church in Jerusalem, a very well-established church, then sends Barnabas to a fledgling, small, struggling church in Antioch. All right, so just put yourself in Barnabas's shoes that like you've just been kind of he sent from this really good big church to kind of a small church. What are you going to do? Okay, I'll give you a hint. Between chapters 8 and 11, someone named Saul gets converted as he meets Christ. All right, so we're going to pick it up. Acts 11, 23 through 26. This is what it says. So this is Barnabas. When he, Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Smart man, Barnabas. So Barnabas grabs Saul, and they're like this power team. Talk about a pastoral staff. Barnabas and Saul and Antioch just pouring into this church for, for a year. But did you catch something? This is, this, is, this is boggling my mind when I was studying this passage. The church in Antioch, founded by those who were scattered from the persecution— the one that Saul stood behind and led, this same church in Antioch is now laying hands on Saul to send him out as a missionary from their church. So this group of people that were shedding tears over Stephen losing his life because of Saul now stand behind Saul, commissioning him as a missionary from their church. That's amazing. That's the power of the gospel. That's why they are sacrificing everything for it because they know the power of it. They've experienced it firsthand. So in our table of contents, Christ commands us to make followers, be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And he is completely committed to this through two forms of sending in the book of Acts. 
So God sends his people out through persecution and the church of God sends missionaries out. So God sends through persecution, church sends by sending missionaries out. The point is this, that Christ meant what he said and he said what he meant, that he desired that there was a faithful gospel witness of his church established in every people group on this globe, including the approximately 7,000 unreached language groups that currently exist that have never heard about Christ. He was serious. Persecution and hardships in our lives are like divinely orchestrated rapids. They may look out of control. We may get cut on the rocks. We may swallow too much water, but behind it all, Christ, even amidst the, un- the seemingly out of control rapids, is orchestrating us to our intended destination. Now, are the, are the rapids, are they more dangerous than the still, stagnant, musty waters with no movement? Only if we fail to see God's hand in the rapids, and only if we fail to see the danger in a faith that has come to a complete standstill and turned completely insulated. There's a lot of hardships in the book of Acts. We never read about a faith becoming stagnant because they were like divinely orchestrated rapids committed to being sent and sending. And not only did others benefit from that, but their faith was resilient and vibrant as a result. Now let's look back at our main passage, Acts 13.1. We're introduced to five prophets, teachers. So we got Saul, Barnabas. The other thing we could add about Barnabas earlier in Acts, he's, he's a priest and he's a rich man. So Barnabas is rich. And then an interesting thought. Another person we're interested introduced to is uh, Simeon. Many believe that this is the same Simon of Cyrene that carried Jesus' cross to his crucifixion. And then we're introduced to a guy named Lucius and Menaean, who we don't know too much about. But this collection of leaders comes together from different backgrounds, uh, different areas, ethnic backgrounds, monetary situations, as a church committed to worshiping and sending. So now that this church has been formed, now we're going to discover in verse 2 how they worship and the implications of their worship. So it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit set apart Saul and Barnabas. Don't you love this? Something extraordinary is about to happen through something very ordinary. We often want the extraordinary apart from the ordinary. Didn't say the elders of Antioch went up to a mountain and they received this revelation in a cloud and came down. No, it simply says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting and praying, the Spirit spoke. And I think we underestimate God's willingness right, to work in our lives through the ordinary gifts of grace, like his word and his people and his spirit. And perhaps we have an unintentional form of snobbery against the ordinary ways that God works. The church at Antioch, they're probably doing what they had always done. They gathered, they worshiped, they prayed, they fasted, the spirit spoke. And there might be some of us who are trying to look at the writing in the sky, trying to discern this next critical step of faith 
for us rather than relying on God's normative gifts of grace like his word and prayer and his people. The extraordinary often comes to pass through the ordinary, the supernatural through the natural, the miraculous through the mundane. A couple months ago, there was a group of us on the way back from a missions conference in Southern California. And so we stopped at a, at a beach, and as we did, we saw something peculiar. Uh, we were minding our own business, doing our thing, and there's a low-flying plane, a couple of them, and they have these signs uh, attached to them. And uh, the only problem was, is they were backwards, and they were facing out to the ocean where no one was, rather than on the shore where everyone was. And so, of course, we want to know what it says, so we stop talking to each other, we stop playing spike ball, we stop enjoying the ocean in front of us, and we're straining, and we're squinting, and we're trying to make out what this sign is saying, and we never find out really what it says. And sometimes, church, we can spend so much time trying to discern the writing in the sky, trying to discern what is not obvious, that we miss what is right in front of us and very obvious. We're told the Spirit spoke in their time of worshiping, praying, and fasting. And he said, set apart Barnabas and Saul to the work that I have called them. All right, we're humans. Let's put ourselves in the church of Antioch for a moment. Can you imagine you're in this prayer meeting, you're in this worship service, and maybe through one of the prophets or teachers, like, and the Spirit says, set apart Barnabas. Like, no, he's the rich one. Like, he's the one who's going to help us make budget. <laughs> Cut our losses. Let's end this thing before something really drastic happens. And the Spirit says, set apart Saul. Like, no, he's our best leader. What are we going to do? Are you sure the Spirit's not saying set aside Lucius or Manan? Friends, but isn't this just like us? We're like, Jesus, I know, I know you said to go make disciples to the ends of the earth. I, I see it all over your word, but not me, not the person I like, not anyone in my church, not anyone in my zip code. <laughs> and friends, obedience to Christ is both joyful and it's full of sacrifice. And that's why we desperately need God's gift of his word and his people and his spirit and why we need the church. We discern the will of God through the word of God with the people of God. And when scripture asks us to do hard things, if we have no accountability, we will inevitably make straight paths crooked and clear waters muddy. Just imagine how a church in the United States might respond if they had an Antioch moment. If you're like, well, we're doing pretty well as a church. Budget's good. We have tight-knit relationships. Uh, our default mindset would be like, no, like, we're good. Don't, don't send anyone out. Let's just stay insulated. Like, just hunker down, turn inward. But what we discover in Scripture is the best way to have inward health in a church is a relentless focus on the external health of others. As the reformer Martin Luther has said, Christians are like manure, Keep them in one big pile and they stink. <laughs> but spread them out and they are incredibly useful. They make everything grow. This concept in verse 2 brings up an important question. 
How do I know? How do I know if I've heard from the Spirit? Like, what if it's just a guilty conscience or uh, I just want something really badly? Well, the Spirit will only speak those things that corroborate the words of Christ. And so the Spirit said, set apart Saul and Barnabas to become missionaries, to share the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard. That's a great start. Those are commands of Christ. On top of that, they had other like-minded Christians that were confirming what the Spirit spoke. So an internal call was confirmed externally by the church. Did you even notice in verse 3, after the Spirit spoke, they continued to fast and to pray before they laid hands on them. So the Spirit spoke words that are identical match to Christ. Then the church confirmed those words and then they were sent out and that is how we discern the will of God. Now by God's grace, this reminds me a bit of the Spirit's process with Abby. See, after sitting uh, here in a local church for a couple years and then at a specific place, sitting under preaching for a couple days, being with God's people in community, the Spirit whispered to her on January 1st, 2022, that I've set you apart for missionary work to people who have no access to the gospel. But in the subsequent 20 months, the Spirit has shouted at Abby through the church, through confirming her spiritual maturity, her theological growth, providing through the internship, providing through you, the local church, and just the way that she has blossomed and and committed to this. And so what started out as an internal whisper by the Spirit has become an external shout by the Spirit. So our passage doesn't say uh, Barnabas and Saul were set apart and God dropped a map of the 18-month missionary journey down. But what was clear is that they were set apart. So the next step of obedience was clear, even if the next 10 were not. Those leaders in Antioch, they had no idea that that day, that prayer meeting, that worship service would forever change the world. But they were faithful and obedient in the present without knowing the blessings and hardships in the future. And sometimes we get stuck from taking the first step because we can't predict the next nine. The first step is often the key God uses to unlock the grace for the second step. Our God is ascending God and therefore his church is to be ascending people. So in many ways, this church at Antioch, they're a blueprint for us as a church. A church forms, a church worships, and a church sends. And that's our focus now in verses three and four. Do you see how things have come full circle at Antioch? Right? The, remember all remember back in our context, the church in Jerusalem, a well-established church, they sent one of their best leaders out, Barnabas, to help establish them. Now they're nurtured to health. Now they're thriving. So guess what the next step is? Send people out. The church at Antioch is imitating the church in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem is imitating on an earthly level what the Lord Jesus Christ did on a cosmic level. He was willing to leave the light of heaven 
to come to a world of people who sat in darkness. And therefore the church that sits in the light has the joy and the responsibility to send people who are currently sitting in darkness. And so this marks a big shift, not only in the book of Acts, but in the entire New Testament. The spirit of God is now leading the church of God to set apart the people of God, to take the gospel of God to those who have not heard the message of Christ and to weak and fledgling churches whom they can build up. And so Fremont Church, we, 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 we cannot miss like what's about to happen in our passage and what's about to happen here, what this means for us. The church at Antioch, they lay hands on Barnabas and Saul. And, and the laying hands on a person, it's an expression of, of identification. It was like in the Old Testament when the worshiper would lay their hands on the sacrificial animal. It was their way of, of, of identifying with that animal. And so as this church in Antioch lays hands with, on Barnabas and Saul, they are, they are saying, as you go, we go. Like we, we, are, we are part of you. You are, you are one of us. We are, we are, we are knit to you. Arrows are not meant to remain in quivers. And bows are not meant to be without arrows. Arrows need to be sent. Bows need to send. Missionaries need to be sent. Churches need to send. The missionary will get a lot further when the church sends them. An arrow that sends itself doesn't get too far. A bow without an arrow gets very stagnant without the intended grooves of the arrow to fit seamlessly in it so it fulfills its intended purpose. And so the question for us today as a church is not, well, should we, should we maybe consider participating in the gospel, getting to every language group on this globe. The question is, will we be a sender or a goer in the gospel getting to every language group on this globe? And so as we, in a few minutes, as we commission Abby, when we lay hands on her, and when I invite anyone who wants to come up to do that, then what we are saying is that we are saying to our sister that you are one of us, that we are with you, uh, that you are an extension of us as long as it takes. Now, verse four. Notice the weighty nature given to the idea that the church of the church sending. We, we can't miss this. In verse four, it says the Holy Spirit sends them out. But in verse three, it says the church sends them out. Christ has committed such authority to his church to enact his will on earth as it is in heaven that it can be said in scripture, used interchangeably, that the spirit sent out and the church sent out. That's astounding. So if we are either to be senders or goers, what does it look like to send missionaries well from a church since, since that's commanded? Well, the tiny book of 3 John, the one that we skip over, because it's stuck to a page and we miss it, is packed with insights of a relationship between missionaries and ascending church. So I'm going to read 3 John, verses 5 through 8. They don't even have chapter references because it's just one chapter. 
3 John 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So a church, a church is to send missionaries in a manner worthy of God. So here, let's get very practical. Here are some practical examples of how we, each of us individually and collectively as a church, can send missionaries well, send Abby well. One, we fervently pray for our missionaries. We don't just pray today when she comes up on stage. We pray We get to know our missionaries. We communicate with our missionaries. We visit them when possible. Now, don't miss this. This is, this wouldn't, you probably wouldn't think of this as a good sender, but hear this. The Spirit of God forms missionaries and strengthens missionaries in the ordinary gifts of a local church, which means as we as a church are wholeheartedly committed to the authority and power of scripture and we excel in our faith. That means this becomes a culture in which mission, missionaries are formed in which missionaries are encouraged. Because if not, what we're about to hear, it would make no sense. Why, why, why would you pick up and go like to the ends of the earth like if, if we're not sure? So this is critical. The other thing we can do uh, is we, once Abby gets to her post, we can take short-term trips to help alleviate uh, some of the things for them to do so they're freed up to do only the work they can or so they're freed up to attend like training and conferences that can refresh them amidst just really being drained. We can take some of our work and some of our skills to that place in order to help support financially. And yes, we as a church, we can give sacrificially so our missionaries are sustained on the field. And by God's grace, I'm so thankful. Like we as a church, you as a church have done such an amazing job. Like just so far, um, you have contributed over $15,000 to Abby's tuition coming up and countless more to help provide for the inevitable needs that are coming up. If you want to talk more about that, you let me know. Now, let's circle back. Let's see how this missionary journey ends in Acts, how it concludes. Uh, Acts chapter 14, 25 through 27. This is when they come back, they've been sent out. Here's how it concludes. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. So did you see that? Like they came back to their sending church whom sent them out to be accountable to them, to encourage them and to say, man, this is what God did when you sent me. You see all these people who didn't know Christ who have come to faith. So that's what they did. They set up the PowerPoint They had a potluck and they shared testimonies. That's what they did. And so if you read chapters 13 and 14, what we would discover the three things they did on their missionary journey is they evangelized people who did not know Christ, who had never heard of Christ. 
Second, they strengthened weak and fledgling churches. And third, they planted churches, raised up local elder pastors who were qualified to lead, whom in turn would become ascending church. And so their three-legged stool of missions was evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Our God is a sending God, and therefore his church is to be ascending people. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the sanctuary for classic worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for modern worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.